0: Hi everyone. Matt Stenzel here. Welcome back to the Innovators Podcast. We have an awesome podcast for you here today. Um, I'm here just to give you a little bit of background for our guest before we move on into the conversation. So. Jim Fay was our guest on this episode of the podcast. He grew up in Iowa and actually went to ISU in the 70s. He graduated with a degree in chemical engineering. After graduation, he went to Procter & Gamble and worked in manufacturing management for a time before moving to Kimberly-Clark. So at Kimberly-Clark, he was actually part of the development team for Huggies Disposable Diapers. Also, he was the father of Huggies Pull-Ups Disposable Training Pants, as well as Huggies Baby Wipes. He left Kimberly Clark when he was 36 years old to become a full-time entrepreneur. Uh, And he was the founder of the company that made the Diaper Genie, which is the number one non-disposable baby product in the country. So then Diaper Genie was sold to Playtex in 1999. And since then, he's been doing consulting for a wide variety of companies. Uh, He calls himself a serial entrepreneur. And now he's teaching a course at ISU in the College of Engineering called Entrepreneurial Product Development Engineering. Fun fact, he actually wrote the textbook for that course because, as he said in the podcast, uh, there was no textbook for his class. Uh, So then in the spring, he'll actually be teaching another course in the College of Business that's going to be based on his newest startup, which is the topic of the podcast. So his newest startup is located out here in the research park. Uh, Allison and I got a chance to go over and visit his space and see what he's doing there with some recent ISU graduates. Uh, Really exciting stuff. It was awesome to see. And... Allison actually did the interviewing for this podcast, and it was just a really fun conversation to listen into. So, I think you'll I think you'll agree. Um, enjoy the podcast, and you'll hear from me on the next one.
1: Jim, thanks for joining us today. Um, as our guest on the Innovators Podcast, I'm so excited to get the chance to talk to you and to share with our greater community a little bit more about your background. So uh, our listeners just heard a little bit more about you, and um, this is sort of a joke, but how, how does a person get from being an inventor of baby products I mean, frankly, excrement project products <laughs> were, were sort of your thing. So I used um, to have
2: a, a sign over my doorway when I worked at uh, Kimberly Clark, and it was Captain Poop.
1: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So how does one evolve from being Captain Poop to um, taking a leap? I mean, you had the diaper genie, so you were still in human excrement yeah. products at that particular point. But into other things. What happened to make that, that leap occur?
2: What happened? Oh, you mean like what other ventures? Yeah. How did yeah. those things happen? Purely about interests. Um, um, one of the other companies that I started after we got rid of Diaper Genie, after we sold that, was a safety products company. 9-11 caused that.
1: Okay. Tell me it about was, that.
2: It was watching video of people jumping out of burning buildings. Uh, that was that was nothing other than life-changing. Um, and I thought, holy cow, this shouldn't be. People should have a way to get down. So I began inventing because I've been a rock climber forever. <laughs> and I am an old rock climber which means, by definition, I'm safe. I do things very safely. No free
1: climbing, no free solo for you. No,
2: none <laughs> of that stuff. No, no, th- you no. Know, life is precious. <laughs> so I started inventing and, and, and began thinking through, you know, what's the market, all that kind of stuff, and realized even though people are horrified at the thought of, of um, you know, jumping out of a burning building, They're not willing to do anything about it.
1: So when you say somebody's going to
2: come and save me, sure. So I switched gears because being an entrepreneur is all about open field running, to use a football analogy. You got to be able to change directions a lot. And I realized the people the people who who I need to work with are firefighters. So I end up becoming some of my absolute best friends on the planet now. Our firefighters out of New York City. When it's a fun story, when I fly out to New York City, which is not infrequent, um, I end up phoning some of my firefighter buddies and saying, um, um, "I'm coming to town. Going to do this. Going to do that." Will they show up at the airport with a fire truck to pick me up? Nice. <laughs> 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 which is which is way cool because be way the fire cool. truck parks right out front.
1: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> they That'll don't have to go out in the
2: parking lot anywhere.
1: So hmm. most people I think can remember where they were on 9/11. I mean, what I find interesting about that entire reflection that you just had is I remember the horror of the people jumping out of the building. I think on some level I consider myself of an entrepreneurial mindset, but there's really nothing inside of me even had I thought I know what to do or I wish that there was some invention that these individuals had so that they could not have to jump or that they wouldn't have to wait for someone to come get them who wasn't going to come. What do you think in you gives you that ability or what piece of your background makes you think I can do that? I can be the person that can go and actually make this and then knows what to do to make it happen.
2: I wish my mom were still alive. I wish she were sitting here talking to you right now.
1: What would she say?
2: Because she would say, well, let me tell you how it started. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up, so I was born in Davenport, Iowa, did my grade school years in Waterloo. We lived in a 750-square-foot house in Waterloo, Iowa, in a, uh, you know, a little subdivision. It had a basement. It had a single bathroom. The bathroom had a tub. Well, I was a little kid, and I thought, I do not like a bathtub. I want a shower. So I went into the basement, and I rigged a shower. I am, I am at this point probably five, maybe six years old, and I rigged up the plumbing to create a shower and um, and it was just out in the middle of a basement. So there's no walls around it at all. I don't know how to do that kind of stuff. But I figured out how to get water moving and how to – and I ended up going to a hardware store as a tiny little kid. You know, you would never even turn a kid loose like that now. But went into the hardware store and talked to the guy, what do I need? And they were so patient with this little five-year-old kid. <laughs> Showing me, well, you need this kind of valve and that kind of valve. And I think I did it mostly with garden hose. And then I'm ready to shower. But the shower is way up there. I'm in the middle of the basement, just over a drain, and there's no place to put the soap. (laughs) Well, they were building a house a few doors down, and I should not probably say this out loud, but I went over and midnight requisitioned a little bit of lumber and, um, and built myself a stand to put a bar of soap on. But it wouldn't stand up because I didn't know anything about physics and, and, and triangles and s- structures. So I had to put one foot on it to keep it standing up or it would fall over. And I remember the day that my mom came down wondering, what are you doing in the basement? And I finally showed her my shower and she howled with laughter. <laughs> but I did it. And uh, and um, and and she said, "I think I know what you're going to be when you grow up." (laughs) And here
1: we are. And here we are.
2: So I'm one of those people who, if I'm out rock climbing, um, I'm always thinking about how would I make this piece of equipment better, or why isn't there a piece of equipment to do this or that. Um As I walk through the grocery store i 'm looking at things and thinking, well that 's an odd way to do that. I would do it differently.
1: Do you think that turns the, into stuff? Do you think that the ability that you had within the private sector, the time that you spent at Procter and Gamble, Kimberly Clark, that because you had the padding of you had this entrepreneurial spirit, obviously from the point you were a little kid, but the the landing pad of not necessarily being as afraid of failure was useful and helpful to you or didn't really matter? It was just part of your trajectory.
2: You know, one of the things that I think probably every entrepreneur, I'm sure there's an exception out there somewhere, but I'll just say every entrepreneur, is you have to totally give up on the idea of getting things right. Just give that up. There are so many people who say, you know, I've got this, I've got this idea, but I don't know how to, how to, whatever it is. So they never start. And there are other people who have got this idea, but it's not perfect. So they never start. You've got to give that up as an entrepreneur. This is fear. You just, just do it. Just make something. The analogy that I use is imagine you're a blind person or a very nearsighted frog, and you are trying to cross a pond by jumping from lily pad to lily pad. You can't see across the pond. You can't do it. So don't think that you can plot out the path and get it right. It's not possible. All you can do is jump to the next lily pad and learn about that lily pad, which will then tell you how to jump to the next lily pad. And if you keep learning and keep jumping, you will get there. And that totally applies to entrepreneurs.
1: That's a perfect analogy <laughs> to jump jump to the next lily pad in our conversation. So you have been out on your own. You've had a company pick up the Diaper Genie. Um, they've purchased that from you. You've got a couple other things that you've invented along the way. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along this path and journey, three, two, three years ago, was it? You can correct me with my timing because I'm probably getting it wrong here. Um, you stumble into the research park, and we meet. And the story that I was told at that particular point is that you were a serial entrepreneur, and I was to show you around what we had going on. Okay. So at that particular point you'd made your way back to Iowa State. But what was going on what was going on for you when you showed up back here from your perspective?
2: Going on back here?
1: Yeah, back at Iowa State. What made you come back home?
2: I didn't know that there was anything going on here. That it it it, it didn't occur to me that that there was necessarily anything that I was coming here to join. Okay. I was coming here to start something. I I had a match in my pocket. I wanted to find some tinder and start a fire. I didn't have any concept that I was coming to join a party.
1: Gotcha. <laughs> so but why let's back up even a little bit further than that then. So What you're living in Boulder, Colorado, which is one of the most exquisite, beautiful places in the world. It is pretty You're an avid outdoors person. You love to ride a bike. You love to rock climb. You couldn't be in a better place. And yet you wanted to do, you know, you wanted to show up here with that match in your pocket. Why?
2: Yeah, this is where we should have Julie talking now. Julie's my wife. Yeah. And Julie would say to you answering that question. No matter, he is, he is the dog, the proverbial dog, standing with his nose at the screen door. If he's inside the house, his nose is on the screen door, he wants to be outside. As soon as he gets outside, he will run around for a second. He will come back and put his nose on the screen door. Wherever he is, he wants to be the other place. <laughs> <laughs> now he went back in. And then he'll run around for a second, put his nose on the door, now he went back out. I it's you know that the rolling stone gathers no moss yes. thing. I just need to be moving and doing.
1: So is it home? Is Iowa home for you in your heart? Is that what brought you back here in some level? Oh
2: no, no, I'm here to do a job. Okay, my home is is Boulder, Colorado, with Julie and I, and I miss her every day when she's not here with me. She's here sometimes, but not all the time. Um, that that's my home. But I'm here to do a job, and the job is to light a fire and to prove to prove a concept, which I'm hoping will get done, um, uh, and and to um, make if, – if we're successful in making this little company work right now, then there's going to be a large donation to Iowa State, too.
1: Awesome. So, yeah. Marty – There's probably
2: one more thing. Okay. And the other thing is – so I have I have 40 years inside me of how do you do this kind of stuff? How do you start a company? How do you invent? How do you develop a new product? I'm at the age where you you start to think well you're either going to do something with that and get it out so you can pass it on or it will die. I just couldn't let it die.
1: Start to think about legacy.
2: Yeah, kind of. Uh, yeah. So
1: So just so that our our listeners understand, you showed up here um, with your match in your pocket and took a peek at our ecosystem, and then you set about um, creating a class. Do you want to talk about that for a second?
2: Yeah, yeah. So this class, um, the name of the class is Entrepreneurial Product Development Engineering. And it was, when I started thinking about it, it was... It was going to be a class on how to develop a new product. And, and in the process of thinking that through, I realized more and more, well, there are a couple problems with this. The first is I can't just talk about the engineering. The engineering is, is almost an afterthought to this class. It's everything else. It's all the other skills that, a, that anybody needs to develop a new product, to know that it's the right product, to know that there's a market for it, and a customer for it, and that you can make money at it, and, I, and when you pile on all of those other skills around the outside of it, you realize this isn't an engineering course. This is a this is a business course. Um, and and then my second realization was there isn't any textbook for it, so I wrote the textbook too.
1: I got my name in that book.
2: Yes, you did get your name in that book. <laughs> That's yeah. one of my
1: claims to fame. When people ask if I if I know Jim Fay, I say, yeah, sure. My name's in his book." Like, what? <laughs> he wrote a book. So, yeah. and, um, that, and
2: that class is wildly fun. I I just have a blast teaching it.
1: Uh, so maybe you could rattle off um, some statistics because you're not going to do it on your own. But I'm, I'm recalling, and you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but I remember the first semester that that launched, that there was a goal to get like six or eight students in that class. And what happened?
2: And I think we had about 45. It has since settled down a little bit. And now... <laughs> Now the norm is that it's 25 to 30 students.
1: But you teach it twice, right? Do you have a second you have no. a second course now no. or you still just have the one semester in the fall only course? No, it's year round. Okay.
2: The idea when we began was that it would be just once a year, but it is year round. Okay. Yeah, so I'm here for the entire school year.
1: And you're volunteering your time unpaid.
2: That's been the case so far. That's correct.
1: And I um, understand that your students are pretty big fan of of the class. So let's use this as an opportunity to jump into what are they up to? What do they do in that class? And then how do we get here, sitting at the research park, after just having toured the space that is yeah. a company that yeah. came from this class's efforts?
2: Yeah. So it's the class I teach is in the engineering college engineers are taught to solve problems. So we are given problem sets to work on at home and turn in. The problem sets are tightly defined. They have equations from books that we're to use to plug data into and solve the problem. Um, And it makes grading papers relatively easy, maybe. I shouldn't really say that because I've never <laughs> graded any of those kind of papers. But engineers are used to having very tightly defined problems to solve with, with very tightly defined solutions. When they come into my class, I give them horribly ill-defined problems to solve. Um, and then they immediately want to know, well, you know, what are we supposed to do here? How, how are you going to grade
1: this? Give an and example of one.
2: An example uh, from this last semester was, imagine that I am the, uh, the mayor of Ames, Iowa, and a, I went to a grocery store, and a constituent um, came up to me and said, you know, the whole handicap parking system is horrible. Somebody just said that to me in the sidewalk. So now, you as engineers, your problem is, do something about that. Just do something about it. Well, they of course want to know. Well, you know what? Are, what are we supposed to? Do? What do you want us to do? Go figure it out. I don't know what we're supposed to do. Go figure it out. And then they want to know. Well, okay, what's the solution supposed to be? What are we? What? How? How? How, how are we supposed an A? to present this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's the rubric? <laughs> and I say, okay, I'm going to make it even harder for you. You're going to grade yourselves. And they end up coming to me afterwards saying, I can't believe how much I learned just trying to figure out what the problem is, let alone how to solve it. So they go talk to people in, on, um, in outside drugstores and grocery stores, and they, they talk to policemen, they talk to um, city managers, they talk to people who are handicapped, they talk to people who aren't handicapped. And then they start coming up with solutions. And I have them make their, a lot of my class is learning to pitch. So they have to pitch their solutions to the class. And they bring in people from city council to pitch to. And they say, I can't can't believe how much we learned from this whole thing. And everybody had a different solution. It was great.
1: (laughs) So how do you get from your class to starting a company? Because you have a company now.
2: we do have a company. So I came here with um, with uh, multiple objectives, and one of those was not just to teach a class but to actually start a company that involved my students and build it up, make it successful so that Iowa State University could be known as uh, holy cow. <laughs> It's not, it's not just a university. This place is an incubator. This place allows you, um, g- gives you all everything you need to make it real. So yes, we are absolutely starting a company, and my students are the owners of the company. Our expectation is we're going to build this thing up and sell it off. It's a baby products company because that's a lot of my heritage. Um I th- I don't know if I should put this on tape because you jinx yourself. My prediction is we will sell this for a billion dollars. And when we do that, um it'll be to one of the big consumer products packaged goods companies and um Iowa State University will receive a big donation as for their help in making all this happen.
1: So, what are you working on loosely? Loosely. Yeah.
2: Loosely, yeah,
1: or specifically, if you want to be specific, but I suspect well, I you will can not. do
2: I can do a little of each because um first I have to teach you about patent law. The patent system says that if you publicly disclose what you are doing, your invention, before you filed a patent application, you lose it.
1: So you there's a couple it. things we're not going to talk about, yeah, disappointingly,
2: yeah. Yeah. Now, I made that a really simple answer here, but and, and anybody who knows patent law knows that it's a little more complicated than that. But mostly, if you disclose before you should, you lose it. So we won't talk about anything that we haven't filed patents on. Sure. But we have filed patents. We filed um, three patent applications so far. There will be two more filed by the end of the year for what we hope is our first product. And we have 11 products in our line, which is just unheard of cool. <laughs> the first product in our line is a baby plate, crazy enough, a baby plate. That is, that's going to be a challenge because nobody's looking for a better baby plate. But it's a fractured market, meaning that there is no company, there is no product out there that has a commanding share of the market. Which means when moms evaluate, and I speak of moms not specifically but generically, meaning I understand that there are lots of different styles and flavors and sizes and genders of caregivers, but mostly it's moms who make decisions. So I, so I refer to them generically. Um, there's no mom out there looking for what is the perfect baby plate, or rather, if they are, they haven't found it. Well, we think we've got one that is not just a tiny bit better than what everybody else is making, but wildly better.
1: I would imagine that when you created the Diaper Genie, that there weren't a ton of moms that were running around imagining in their mind a contraption that, they, that could swallow up their diapers.
2: And in fact, what happened with diapers, with Diaper Genie, was it too was a very fractured market, and it was a tiny market. So in, in, uh, in, in companies, so you have, a, you have an employee in a company, and the employee does poorly. What you don't do is fire the employee, because that's, you know, you, people, companies don't like to hurt people. But what you do is push them into a job where they can't do you much damage. Well, in most baby product companies, the job you give to somebody before you fire them, (laughs) we're going to give you one last chance, is managing diaper pails because it's a horrible business. The market penetration of diaper pails when we got into that business was something like 5%. And... Meaning 95% of moms didn't bother to have one. And even those who did get one, within two weeks it was in the garage because they smell so horrible.
1: So wait, do you mean to tell me that you were on the path to getting fired when you started product development? (laughs) Fired by yourself?
2: Fired by myself. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. (laughs) What we did is we looked at, holy cow, 95% 95% of the market isn't buying because the products are so bad. There's opportunity here. So when we invented and then put on the market Diaper Genie, within two years, it wasn't 5% market penetration. It was 95% market penetration. So we, we took a market where the entire U.S. sales of diaper pails was $5 million dollars. And two years later, the entire U.S. market for diaper pails is over $100 million.
1: Wow. So, I mean, sounds like a bit of an audacious claim that you are making around the baby plate, but mm-hmm. not coming from a place or a space of not having experienced something similar in the past in your own trajectory.
2: It's almost always the case yeah. for me. I'm I'm, uh, I'm really pretty agnostic with regard to what the product is. In my consulting work, I'm always called to do something I don't have any experience with. So It can doesn't we, matter.
1: Can we anticipate with the um, suite of products that you have coming, the ones that you can't talk about, that while we were in the excrement business before that we're going to be in the feeding business now so, for more than one? So we or? have
2: 11 new products. Some of them are feeding products. Some of them are diapering products. Some are um, bathing products. Some are play. So it crosses a a wide gamut of enriching babies' lives, enriching moms' and dads' lives.
1: So tell me about who's working for you. Where are you you finding your employees?
2: This is so cool. This is so cool. So almost everybody in the company took my class (laughs) almost not entirely but almost everybody they finish the class and they come to me and they say this has been life-changing this Mm -hmm. is what I want to do for a living now this is so cool so um so we started the company and now let me see we're at 15 or 16 people um, a couple of them are undergraduates, so still have some time to go to to get through. But several of them are people who have graduated, um, graduated a year ago, graduated six months ago, graduating just now, and have no intention of getting jobs. Just going to jump in and do this.
1: Have you met their parents?
2: I have met some of their parents.
1: And are they good with it? Are they ready to punch you in the face?
2: <laughs> it is so cool because these parents, they the, these the I call them kids. I'm old enough that I can call them kids and get away with it. Um, they they tolerate that. Um, they introduce me to their to their parents at graduation and things, and they run up and they hug me. Awesome! So it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. And some of these kids graduated top of their classes really bright kids got jobs earning seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars a year, and now a year after after going and getting those jobs, have quit those jobs and are coming back to do this full time with me.
1: They got the bug. Yeah. So Yeah.
2: And telling me they're having the time of their lives.
1: Awesome. So this is, I mean, it's their first hurrah. It's obviously not your first hurrah. Is, th- is that what gets you out of bed in the morning to do this again? Is it that the majority of your workforce is a bunch of young people that um, are learning and green and inexperienced and you can teach them? Is it that you're this is the last hurrah and you feel like they're the people that can carry the torch on adequately? What is it?
2: You know, I would love to say it's my last hurrah, but I've been telling that to Julie for 20 years, and something always comes around the corner. Yeah, I wish she were
1: here. So I don't know
2: when I'll ever retire.
1: Maybe we could get her on an episode in the future, and, and I would like to pick at her brain a little bit about... I know you had a place here in Ames, and I heard from your neighbors, actually, that you sort of expanded from your living room into the dining room, into the garage. Yeah, and,
2: yeah the kids just took it over. It then, was great fun.
1: And now you've ended up here, and, and you have this um, saint-like wife that is following More you around an, the angelic. country. angelic. <laughs> So totally different um, aside, and we'll get back to the company in a second, but um, it got me the trolling around the country thing got me thinking about your bike riding. Um, You have ridden your bike in a lot of different places and told me a story some time ago, partially, and it stuck with me partially because I like to ride a bike as well, about the group of individuals that you meet up with every year. Yeah. And the trip that you take. So I know you ride on Rakebri, which a lot of people around here are familiar mm-hmm. with. But um, talk to me a little bit about about that. I know about that's something also that you and Julie enjoy doing together yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I even own a bike shop. So, yeah, I'm totally into biking. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk about this little group of guys that I have. I'm not going to talk about Ragbrai cuz that's that's yeah. almost
1: people know about everybody it. Everybody knows here. that. Yes. Yeah.
2: I have this little group of guys and there are in any given year, you know, it floats up and down a tiny bit, but half a dozen. We go all over the Europe, all over the world. We um, uh, we either take bikes with us or we rent bikes there and we do these grand trips. It, we did not do one this year, and I am, I am, beyond sad about that. But the year before, so, twenty uh, nineteen, uh, 2019, we flew to Frankfurt, Germany, and then biked from Frankfurt, Germany to Budapest, Hungary. It's about a thousand miles.
1: How wow. long? How long did it take?
2: Uh, a little over two weeks
1: and and what do you do which doing?
2: is you know which is way slow for you know tour de france kind of riders but we stop every 30 minutes cuz we're old guys you know we, we stop we get off the bikes we we greet the cows on the side of the road we look at the barges that are rolling and if there's a place to drink beer well you got to do that You're in, sure. you know it's helping the local economy
1: <laughs> so tell me about the people Have, you ride wonderful. with are so these people you've met along the way professionally that had similar interests
2: somewhat um, um, yeah one of them is an an old friend from um the fraternity that I was in although we were in different schools so I went to, to Iowa State and he went to IIT Illinois Institute of Technology but we were in the same fraternity which is? Triangle fraternity okay and, um, uh, and we both volunteered at the national organization level and became good friends. Well, we've since, he did not bike at all then. I got him into biking, so we've become good biking friends. Um, another guy is a, uh, was the general partner of a big law firm in the Chicago area. His area of specialty was employment law and um, um, com- highly compensated people. So CEO sorts of things. Well, the stories he has to tell are just wildly fun. Another guy is a re- the retired uh, president of the Bank of Montreal. Well, he has great stories to tell. Um, uh, um, another guy is uh, an engineer who was in charge of building the Alaska pipeline. Oh, interesting. And then the Trans-Siberian pipeline. So some very accomplished people in this group and we ride we drink beer and we talk
1: it's and great fun don't you rotate who picks the route every um, time
2: somewhat but there have you know we kind of started that way but what we've settled into is that there are a couple of guys in the group who are just
1: good at it mm-hmm. <laughs> sure <laughs> and like it probably yeah. more than others yeah so um, but
2: before you leave that okay so we ended in Budapest. One of my students graduated a year and a half ago and took a job with a company and on in a rotation thing and His first assignment was in um um Eastern Europe. Oh. so he took an overnight bus to Budapest and we got to spend a weekend together in walking around Budapest and sampling goulash and what immense fun to meet one of my students over there! Oh, that, that was good. That would be fun. fantastic. Yeah. So,
1: out of all the places that you've ridden your bike, what what sticks out? I mean, place wise, for starters.
2: Oh, I, that's you know, strangely, that's very easy. Okay. It's very easy. I'm going to get political here for a minute. Germany. The bike riding in Germany is beyond compare.
1: I lived there. I rode my bike there a fair amount. I can, I can agree wholeheartedly
2: they have have bike paths all crisscrossing the country they are separate from the roads they are beautifully maintained you don't have to share your bike road with a car it's just
1: absolutely wonderful and there's little beer houses yeah all over the place in trees yeah even and
2: and inns right beside the trails to take care of bikers it is beyond compare. No place in the world does it like Germany does it.
1: Well, I'm glad. I'm I glad wish I that asked. the U.S.
2: were as first world as Germany in that respect.
1: So I'm, I'm going to come back to um, come back to the entrepreneurship innovation conversation here for a second. Yeah. Um, none of you can see us unless um, Matt put some pictures up. But if you could, you would see that. There's several pages of notes in front of Jim because he's an engineer AC/DC, and he has notes, yeah. <laughs> and I am not. And so um, I think maybe I made you panic a little when I said I was just going to free flow this. So, how's that not going for you so far?
2: Oh, I'm good. Is it this. working
1: out all right? Yeah. A couple of things that are in the notes that I thought were interesting, though. You threw out, you talked about an innovation snowball. Tell me about that.
2: Um, Innovation is is like, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like pocket lint. It's like um, ice in your freezer. Once it starts, it just keeps getting bigger. So when you, when you start something, you, I suppose a lot of companies start one thing and, and then constrain it, no, we don't want to talk about anything else, and they just do that one thing. But I'm not good at that. I'm, I am a always coloring outside the box person. My mom would have told you that in grade school, the constant um, feedback from my kindergarten teacher was he cannot color within the lines. Innovation is the same way. We started this little company, which by the way is called Finn and Viola. And I'll, I can explain where the name comes okay. from. We started this company with one idea, but we get together constantly and we throw Frisbee, we throw football, we walk through grocery stores together, we talk to moms together and new ideas happen. And bing, 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 one feeds after off another and the next thing you go, you get, the next thing you know, you've got another product idea. Well, we put it in the hopper. So it is it is a common attitude is, no, stop thinking about that, work on this. We don't do that. Instead, what we do is, yeah, put it in the hopper. Put it in the hopper. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. So it it just keeps growing.
1: That's fun. So talk to me about Finn and Vila. Where did that name come from? Yeah,
2: yeah. Well, we had to come up with a name. And the finding a new name in this world of internet where every possible combination of letters has already been taken um, for a website is really tough. So we spent a fair amount of time thinking and thinking and thinking, random letters, this and that. And then I had this inspired thought. And the inspired thought was, I have two little girls. They're now grown up. They're adults now. But when I had two little girls, I was an avid um, triathlete. So I was come off, come home from work, and and put my little girls in a trailer behind the bicycle, and we go out for a ride. So they would each have a water bottle, and I would have a water bottle, and they would tell me when to drink water, and we just had great fun training together. And they were a good load because. When I didn't have them, then I was that much stronger and faster. But they're little girls, and they would get bored. So I had to make up stories for them. Well, I had two imaginary characters, Finn and Viola. Finn and Viola were totally imaginary, but they could become anything they wanted to be and then experience whatever that was. So as we're biking down the road... I might say that Finn and Viola are those two cows in the pasture over there. what, What are they thinking right now? What are those cows doing? On another day, I might say Finn and Viola are those two trees over there. How do you talk to a tree about travel? How do you do that? tree can't travel how do you talk about travel to a tree
1: (laughs) so now you have a whole children's book series and in in fact that's
2: a lot of the magic of how we want to build our company is that it's not just a products company our plan is to write stories the adventures of Finn and viola awesome and they will be on our website and we expect parents to have as much fun coming to our website and reading their the stories we put up there to their kids about the adventures of Finn and Viola as they will buying our products.
1: I love it. I have a couple ideas to submit. Do you have a do you Perfect. have a spot I can Perfect. do that? Yeah, we'd love to. Perfect. Yeah. I have a I have a similar thing with my daughter. Um and by the way, I can completely relate to the Burley stories. I have a couple of her getting Um, disgruntled at the length of my bike rides while I was pulling her and suddenly people pulling up on the trail beside me telling me that my phone or my iPad was a mile behind me because she'd started (laughs) hucking things out the side of the burley. But um, I create alter ego people for her. So when she sleeps and she kicks, that's not Tegan, that's kicking Virginia or... Um, you know, there's an angry person. There's a tired person. Those sure. are her alter ego people t- showing up. So this is real similar to to what you did with your kids as well. So i I love the I love the spirit behind that. Yeah. So do you think you'll get your daughters to come back and work on this company with you at some point?
2: I don't know. Um, w- my older daughter has two little girls whose names are Ara and Lola. Um, adorable little girls, um, perfect in every way, of course, um, and uh, they will be at, at minimum test market subjects for us, of course. <laughs> so they will have their hand in designing these products and making sure they work right.
1: Awesome. We have to get them here to do a photo shoot, maybe. Yeah. While we're doing some test marketing. Yeah. So what do you want to what do you want to leave our community with? I mean, you have. So much to offer people here. Now you've got a company. So you, as I see it, you're sort of starting to narrow your focus. You're going to continue to teach the class, I presume. Yes.
2: Um, and teaching another class.
1: Oh, because you don't have enough to do already? Exactly. Perfect. What's yep. that going to be about? The second
2: class is going to be in the business college. It's going to start in January. And uh, I'm, I am really excited about what this is going to become because every business student knows about a case study sure a case study is always backward looking it's this thing that happened how did it how did it get to where it is what would you have done differently what would you do now that they're in that position but it's all backward looking and then if you try to say well this is what I would have changed there's no way to test it. You can't. It's all totally hypothetical. Sure. So instead, this new class that we're teaching, and um, I'm not sure what the name of it is. But this new class, oh, uh, it's it, 490E is the number, by the way. Okay. This new class is going to be a real-time case study of a new business. This business, our baby products company. So we're going to put our new little company into essentially a glass fishbowl and let people see the fish swimming around. So when we meet, we're gonna take the first half of a class and simply talk about this is the problem du jour, the problem of today. What are we wrestling with? It might be a supply chain problem, it might be a positioning, branding, product development, naming, who knows what it's going to be. could be a finance problem. We're going to bare our souls and show this is the problem we're messing with. And then we're going to open to Q&A and the homework assignments will be what would you do? Fix it. Tell us what to do and we will actually try things.
1: Amazing. So I love that I love that at the end of all of this that you're going to have this body of evidence if you will mm-hmm. of what happens when you take a bunch of 18 to 23 year olds or college yeah. students and allow them to take the lid off, you know, really unhinge the process that that we typically, you know, use to put people in a company environment to be innovative and Wow, what an opportunity for yeah. our students!
2: Here's a crazy thing that's happening as a result of doing this. You would think so. It's a bunch of. You're right. Um, it's not. It's not 18. It's mostly 20 to 23. As
1: juniors and seniors. Yeah.
2: Okay. So, so 20 year olds. Let's call them. What happens when you take a bunch of 20 year olds and then you put somebody? I'm not going to say my age here. You don't get to. 60s <laughs> you put put some old person in amongst them what happens what you would imagine is that the old person becomes the the uh, the yellow lines on the side of the road don't go no you can't do that you can't do that becomes the traffic cop and the kids are constantly pushing up against those boundaries the reality is it's the opposite. the opposite. Sure. It's the opposite. They are far more cautious about doing things than I am. I'm the one telling them, bust through that wall. Break that boundary. Don't make that assumption. Go figure it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I want to take a second and reflect on that. because it's something that I talk with people about a lot. I have a lot of students that work for me. And I think even in the difference in age, I still feel like I'm, you know, not very far out of college, but here I am 25, 30 years out of college. And, um, just getting to a point where looking back, you can see where different things that we've changed from the educational process have affected the next generation of students in a particular way. And, uh, what you just articulated is something that I also have observed with my students where, um, I didn't feel quite as inhibited as a lot of them seem to and the way that they approach different things. And I always have wondered why that why that is and what has happened in our educational setting and processes to allow that to occur. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I spend a lot of my time as a mentor doing the exact same thing that you're doing in your class. It's just translated into real life you know, experience professionally, right? Whereas mine is no, go on a road trip or go to that concert or get out of here and go, you know, go explore. It's sometimes Mm -hmm. more important than going from an A minus to an A on a test. What's your, what's your thought about what, what we have done and what we could do to alleviate some of that in this generation of talent, aside from more of what you're doing?
2: I think the place that you and I would would um, perhaps diverge in opinion mm-hmm. is that I'm not sure it's anything that's happened in the last ten years or twenty years, um, because I graduated from college I think with the same mindset as the people I see here, so no difference. What I what I observe is we teach to, well, there's an answer. And, and, and we want to create grading rubrics. Well, a grading rubric means there has to be a right answer. And we want to minimize the amount of effort we put into grading. So we tend to move toward uh, multiple choice sorts of exams, which constrain even more to it's an answer. Um, and the kids learn to behave that way. They also, they don't want to be wrong about something, they don't want to lose, (laughs) then they want to do it once. If there's any, I'm going to diverge here, if there's any single message that I try to teach, and I do this both in the company and in my classroom, it is start early so that you have time to fail and then get it right. Iterate to a solution. If you put, if I give you an assignment and you put it off until the night before it's due, there is no time to fail. The only way you have time to fail is if you start it the day I give it to you. And then you do it and you realize, oh, well I totally got this wrong, and you have time to do it again, and again, and again. Of course our system, is not designed to reward that because all these students have multiple classes and they they don't have time their schedules are so packed um, either with school activities or club activities that they and and so many kids are doing things um, to build a resume it may not be something that they are in love with but they're doing it because it looks good on the resume? Well, it means they have no time, and I feel awful about that. Kids in my class tell me, this is the easiest class in the world to get an A, because the problems are ill-defined. You can be any solution at all, as long as you've thought it through. We get to grade ourselves. (laughs) It's the easiest class in in the whole curriculum to get an A, and yet, there are two problems. Problem number one is I'm putting more time in on this class than the rest of my classes put together. How, do, how is that possible? <laughs> and, and they tell me it's because I'm actually, I think I'm actually learning something in this class that I can use and it's fun.
1: Is there anything that you want to add and then I want to, I want to play a little quick exercise with you have a little quick you're gonna give
2: me that give me that what's the first word that comes to mind
1: no it won't it'll be easier yeah okay but anything that you want to tell our community anything you want to leave with before we do that
2: one thing yes when i came here i kind of knew what i wanted to teach and and ethics character was a big part of that there are two kinds of entrepreneurs in the world those who do it once and those who do it again the ones who do it once I don't know those people and you can do something once unethically and get away with it but the ones who do it again the ones who are serial entrepreneurs you can't do that unethically No one will work for you a second time. So ethics, character are huge things in my life. The only reason that people want to come and work with me a second time, a third time, a fourth time, seven or eight or nine times have I done this, is that they say, I trust you. That only comes from character. So in my classes, I teach character every single day it's not a okay today we're going to spend 10 minutes on character and then we don't have to talk about it again it's every single day and kids come to me at the end of a semester and they, they they come up to me and this is where their parents come up to me <laughs> and they say if there's anything i got from you this semester it's how important character is and I have grown so much in understanding who I am and who I need to become. And it just it just brings tears to my eyes. It is wonderful.
1: I think you're doing <laughs> the right thing. I think you're in the right spot. I hope so. So let's go back to Finn and Veal a quick for okay. a second. And I'm just going to fire off a series of time frames. And you're going to tell me where you think you'll be with Finanville as a company mm-hmm. within those timeframes first thing that pops into your mind so 5 months in 5 months yes
2: we will be in market we actually are in market now we had our first sale a couple of weeks ago so we are just barely turned the corner in 5 months we will be in market And I am wildly hopeful we will be cash positive. Two years. Two years. We will have eight products in the market. Five years. We will be gone. We will have sold this company.
1: And where will Jim Faye be in five years?
2: Maybe on my boat. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe doing this again someplace and Julie will be shaking her head when is a ever gonna st- slow this stuff down?
1: <laughs> when are you gonna create your your pro- your um, carbon copy of yourself so that someone else can teach your class? Are you working on that? I am
2: oh, well, you said it was the last clause that slowed me down. When are you gonna create the carbon copy of yourself? That's what these kids are about. This yes. is the way to pass this on. I am I am giving all these kids the experience of 40 years so that they can go do this
1: so they've got five years they can give back five years to suck forty years out of you before you get on your boat i think that's the perfect ending spot maybe thank you for spending the time today i hope we can do this again it's been awesome
2: thank you too